All right, well, good morning. Listen, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Will Franco. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, if you're visiting us here this morning, we just want you to know that we are so glad you're here, Uh, that regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we need you to know that this is a a safe place to explore God and figure out if this whole Jesus thing is for you. And one of the things that we say all the time to people who are visiting is we want you to know that here at Tri-Village, you are welcomed, you are wanted, and you are needed. You are welcomed, you are wanted, and you are needed. And so uh, if you're visiting us here for the first time, maybe it's your first time to church ever, or maybe it's your first time back to church in a long time, regardless of, of where, where you're coming from, we just are so glad you have decided to stop by. One of the things I would love for you to know is that we have a Connect card on your seat, and what you can do is just take that Connect card, uh, fill that out, and just let us know if you, that you are here this morning. Um, uh, you could take that over to uh, the, the welcome desk, and here's what's cool. At the welcome desk, there's a gift from us to you, and uh, it's just be a way for us to know you are here, and it's just a gift from us uh, for, for visiting us here this morning. So if you're new here this morning, then you have no idea that we are uh, at the tail end of a series entitled Explore God. And what we've been doing in this series is essentially what the name implies. We have been exploring the person and nature of God. And the way we've been doing that is for seven weeks, we have been asking and answering seven questions concerning the person and nature of God. So in week one, we began with the question, does life have a purpose? In week two, we addressed the question, is there a God? In week three, the question was, why does God allow pain and suffering? In week four, the question was, is Christianity too narrow? In week five, the question was, is Jesus really God? And then last week, we looked at the question, is the Bible reliable? And this morning, we are concluding with what I think is probably the most important question, which is, can I know God personally? Because we can learn a lot about God, right? But at the end of the day, the, the most important question is, can we actually know this God personally? So the way we're going to answer this question is by looking at one of the most famous passages in the Bible. I would argue probably the the most famous. Even if you're not really uh, aware of the whole Bible thing and you're not really a a Bible reader, you didn't really grow up in that tradition, um, the passage that we're going to look at is probably a passage you've heard either at a football game or somewhere uh, because it's a very well-known passage. And the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is John 3.16. Now, what I want to do is I want to read John 3.16, and then I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. But, but this morning, we're going to be camping out, essentially, uh, in verse 16, just because of time. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to preach a short sermon this morning, so pray for that. Uh, <laughs> it's never happened before. So, so like I said, we're going to be reading 16 through 18, but we're going to be camping out primarily in verse 16. So let me begin reading in verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's the word of the Lord. Now, this morning, like I said, the passage that we're going to be focusing in on is verse 16, the the verse that a lot of people know, which is John 3, 16. And and the way we're going to answer the question, can I know God personally, is we're going to give a three-part answer to that question, a three-part answer to the question, can I know God personally? And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the source of love. Then after we look at the source of love, we're going to look at the recipients of love. 
And then we're going to conclude by looking at the demonstration of love. So the source, the recipients, and the demonstration. So this morning, I want to begin by looking at the source of love, the source of the relationship. You could put the passage back up. Look at the first two words of the passage. It says, for God so loved the world. I want everyone to say, for God. I want everyone to say, for God. God, God, according to this passage, is the initiator of this relationship. The the source of the love, the, the initiator of the relationship is not us. It's not humans. It's God. God is the source of love and relationship. God is pursuing us. And so the question, I'm, I'm answering the question multiple times. I want to make sure you understand that the, the question, can I know God personally? The answer is yes. And not only can you know him, but God wants to know you. Because it says, for God pursued us. For, for God came after us. You see, here's the thing about other religions. With, with other religions, and, and you can fill in the blank with every other religion, right? I grew up in, in Catholicism. Uh, you can put uh, Islam in this. You can put uh, 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 Mormonism in this. You can put uh, Judaism in this. With, with every other religion, here's what, what essentially you're taught. You're taught that you got to do something. You got to try something. You got you to attend church and you got to uh, confess to a person and you got to give money and you got to uh, 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 come to this thing and go to that thing and try really hard and pray a lot. And, 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 and the more you do, if you do enough, then maybe you'll work your way up to the deity. But what we see is that Christianity is totally different because Christianity says, listen, you can't go to God You can't make it up to him, and so God had to come down to you. Amen? That's a big difference. That's a major difference. See, here's what I need you to see right here at the beginning, because this is so important. When you look at this relationship, when you look at the source of love, what I need you to see is that God is the instigator. God is the initiator. God is the originator. God is the author. God is the actor, and God is the pursuer. That's crazy. Christianity is not about you getting to God. Christianity is about God doing everything in his power to get to you. And that's why it's the most unique, not even religion, because it's not a religion, it's the most unique relationship an individual can have. It doesn't tell you do more. It says Jesus already did it all. God's not at the top of a ladder saying climb. God's on a cross saying it is finished. So what we see is that the the first truth that I need you to to, to see here, the the first truth that I need you to, to understand is that the one who pursues the one who initiates, the one who uh, uh, originates the relationship is God. Christianity is not about how much you love God. It's about how much God loves you. That's what we see. That's very different. And I apologize if anyone's ever told you otherwise. Okay? So, the first thing I need you to see is that the source of love, the, the source of the relationship, the, the initiator of the relationship is God and not us. Now, the second thing I need you to see this morning is I want you to look at the recipients of love. And I, do, I don't want you just to look at the source of love, but I want you to see the 
recipients of love. We've seen where love comes from. We see where the relationship starts. It starts with God. And now I want you to see the direction. Where is that love headed? Who who is it directed at? Well, according to the passage, the, the love is directed at us. The recipients of love are us because it says, for God so loved the world. Everyone say the world. God so loved the world, the passage says. So, so if God is the initiator, if God is the pursuer, if God is the actor, then the people being acted on, the people who are receiving, the people who are on the other side of that love is us, the people of the world. Now, here's why this is so important. I don't want you to miss this. This is, this is very important. I need you to understand that when John writes, and this is actually, he's actually quoting Jesus. Jesus, I'll come back to that in a second, but he's quoting Jesus. So as John quotes Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. He says, for God so loved the world. The thing about that that phrase, the world, is that it can seem so general. It can seem so nebulous that you could actually miss the fact that it's extremely significant what the passage is telling us here. It says that God, by saying the world, it says that God loves the people of the world. So here's what this means. God doesn't love the power structures of the world. God doesn't love the political systems of the world. God doesn't love the pain of the world. God doesn't love the problems of the world. God doesn't love the precepts of the world. God doesn't love the principles of the world. God loves the people of the world. And if God loves the people of the world, that means God loves you. Amen? Guys, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's crazy. That the creator is so madly in love with the creation, even though they've ignored him, even though they act like he doesn't exist, even though they only acknowledge him on holidays, even though they only come to him when things are bad. But the creator loved the creation so much that he came down. That's what the Bible says. Now, here's why this love is so important. Here's why this love is so significant. Because the world, the world that we live in is very conditional. Here's what I mean by conditional. The only thing that this world can offer you, the only systems that work in this world is two-way conditional love. Here's what I mean by two-way conditional love. Two-way conditional love is I do something for you and you do something for me. As long as you keep doing something for me and I keep doing something for you, then the relationship can keep going. But what we see is that with God, it's totally different. You see, because here's what the world says. The world says, hey, hey, we'll love you if you're smart enough. We'll love you if you're brave enough. We'll love you if you're pretty enough. We'll love you if you're productive enough. We'll love you if you're sufficient enough. We'll love you if you're strong enough. God says, I love you and you're enough. I don't think you guys are hearing me right now. I think, that's, I think that's what's happening right now. I feel like I'm still maybe in my living room running through this message by myself. I might be talking to myself right now. Because what I need you to understand, listen, I came here this morning to testify to somebody that God loves you. And that there's nothing you can do to, gain, to get more love from him. And there's nothing you need to do to get less love from him. God loves you as much as he can possibly love you. God says you're enough. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. You literally don't have to work another day. You don't have to pray anymore. You don't have to give anymore. You don't have to attend anymore. You don't have to do anything else. Because God says, you're enough. I don't know if you've ever been in a church that's told you that. 
But I need you to know that's the gospel. And that's why it's not good advice, it's, it's good news. It's not application, it's a declaration. So God shows up and says, no, no, listen, you are enough. Now, here's what the world does, right? There's a part of the world that, that, that for, after, after trying to get the approval of people and after trying to, 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 to find its identity and security in, in conditional relationships, here's what the world around us has done. The world around us says, says okay, clearly it's, it, we shouldn't rely on other people to satisfy us. Clearly, we shouldn't rely on others to, to fill our void. So here's what the world says, and you hear it everywhere right, from celebrities and politicians and musicians, here's what they say. It doesn't really matter what people say as long as you love yourself. What matters is what you think about yourself. You know why that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life? Because what if the person who's condemning you is you? What if the person who's telling you you're not enough is you? What if the person who's depressed is you? What if the person who's suicidal is you? What if the standards that are crushing you are yours? The problem with you being the one that gives you your ultimate valuation and your ultimate validation and your ultimate justification is that if you have the final say, if that say is not your loved and accepted, then you're in trouble. And even if it is your loved and accepted, by what standard are you determining that you're loved and accepted by? See, that's the thing. So you can't not only, not only should we not find our, relation, our, our identity and our security and our significance in the, these horizontal relationships, these, these horizontal conditional relationships, not only should we not do that, we shouldn't even find our identity and validation in ourselves because we are just as sinful and just as wicked and just as broken as the people who we're trying to find our identity in. And, and if you don't believe that, then you haven't seen what the Bible says about you. That's the issue. And what you see, here's what's, what's crazy, that, that at the end of the day, and this, I, I love this, in, in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you have the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And here's what he says to the church in Corinth. This, this is how you know this brother's at another level. Here's what he says. He says, listen, I have come to a place in my faith. I have arrived to a place in my faith where I don't even care what other people think. And you're like, okay, I've heard someone's people say that before. He said, but listen to this, get this. Not only do I not care what people think, I don't even care what I think about myself. I don't even judge myself anymore. Because who cares if I think highly or lowly of myself? He says, if God has already loved me, if God has already accepted me, if God has already approved of me, if God has already forgiven me, then who cares what I think? Who cares? Because your view of yourself is up and it's down. You get a raise and it's up and you get dumped and it's down. You have a good day and it's up and you have a bad day and it's down. Listen, it doesn't matter what the world thinks and it doesn't even matter what you think. If God loves you, if God accepts you, if God has forgiven you, if God has validated you, if God has justified you, that is all your soul needs. It's the only thing your soul needs. That's good news, guys. It's good news. So what we see here, when we look at this passage, is that God is the initiator. God is the source, and we are the recipients. But here's the thing, and I don't want you to miss this. You can be, there's only two types of recipients in the world. There are reluctant recipients, and there are willing recipients. Now, follow with me here. Just because you're under the sound of my voice doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. 
Just because God has made an invitation doesn't mean you've accepted it. Because you could be a willing recipient who takes the information and says, I'm going to accept God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live in light of this. Or you can be a reluctant recipient and says, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. Thanks, God. You know, I'll add church here and there. I'll go to church sometimes when things get difficult. But by and large, I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to figure it out myself. That's not how it works. Either you get to heaven in your name, which is not possible, or you get to heaven in Jesus' name. He, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you like this. The, back in 1829, there was a story about an individual named James Porter, and him and one of his friends uh, or, or colleagues, however you want to call them, partner in crime, they, they committed this crime, and they went to rob a bank or something, and, and, and a, a couple people died. Well, his friend was someone who was part of the elite in that place in, in the United States in the, 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 the early uh, times of the colonies. And so his friend, because of his position in, in the community, immediately was pardoned. He, 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 and then by, mean, by mean that, he went to jail, but he didn't get put on death row. James Porter, on the other hand, wasn't as wealthy, wasn't as successful. And so the moment he committed the crime, he gets put in jail, right on death row. He is going to be killed. So here's what his friend does. His friend uses his clout, even though he's in prison too, he uses his clout, he uses his influence to try to get James off of death row. Literally days before he's about to get killed, he's able to, his friend is able to convince the governor to get James off of death row. So they go up to him and say, hey, James, you're done. You're out. You don't have to die. And then James Porter does the most unexpected thing in probably United States history. He looks at the governor. He looks at him and says, I don't want the pardon. I thought about what I've done, and I'm going to go ahead and pay it for myself. And he died. He was killed. Now, follow with me here. James Porter was pardoned by the governor. James Porter, at any point, could have taken the invitation and gotten out of the cell. But you know what he did? He refused to take the pardon. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, well, God is loving. He's going to, I can live however I want. And as long as I try hard, God's going to forgive me because God's a forgiving God. Yeah, God's a forgiving God. God's offered you a pardon. But if you're going to stay in your cell, don't ask for mercy when it's death sentence day. The offer has been made. The invitation has been given. And the question is, are you going to take the offer or not? But the only way you get out is if you accept it. That's why when people say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God in my head. I, I grew up in church. I believe that there's a God. Well, here's the thing. If you, you, you can't just acknowledge Jesus with your heart. You have to adore. With, well, you can't just acknowledge Jesus with your head. You have to acknowledge him, adore him with your heart. Don't just acknowledge him with your head. You have to adore him with your heart. Listen, Jesus is so powerful. Jesus is so transcendent that if you actually come to know Jesus, everything will change. That's like me telling you, like me telling you that I know Jesus and then nothing changing is like me telling you, hey, on the way to church today, uh, I got hit by a semi-truck going 70. I was walking down the street and a semi-truck just hit me going 70 miles per hour. But hey, it was fine. I just got up and brushed it off. I'm good now. You'd be like, no, you're a liar because there's no way you can hit by a semi going 70 and be the same after that. Listen, Jesus is infinitely more powerful than a semi. If you get hit by the love of Jesus, you don't come back the same. And so if you think that you're good because you acknowledge him in your head and nothing's changed with your hands and how you behave, that means you don't adore him with your heart. 
I'm not calling you to acknowledge him. I'm calling you to adore him. I'm not calling you to add him to your spiritual portfolio. I am calling you to put him at the center of your life. He is the center spoke, and every other, every other spoke comes from the, that middle axle. Jesus is either everything or he's nothing. So the first thing we see is the source of love. The, the second thing we see is the recipients of love. And I want to conclude this morning by looking at the demonstration of love. The demonstration. Here's what's crazy about God's love. That God isn't just the type of person who tells you he loves you. He then goes out of his way to demonstrate it. He goes out of his way to prove it. He goes out of his way to confirm it. And what's beautiful about God is that in this passage, he demonstrates his love in two ways. In two ways, God demonstrates his love for us. The first way in which God demonstrates his love is in the type of love that he displays. The type of love that he displays. And then the second way that he demonstrates his love is in the type of gift that he gives. So he he demonstrates his love in the type of love he displays and in the type of gift that he gives. Here's what I mean by the type of love. In this passage, if you go back to the passage, it says, For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. That he gave. God so loved the world that he gave, the passage says. The word there, loved, here's why the word there, loved, is so important. The, word, the Greek word there is agape. And you might not know a lot about Greek, and I didn't know a lot about Greek either until I went to school for it. But here's the thing about Greek. There are different words for the word love in Greek. Many words. The word, Greek is a much better language than English, than English. And one of the ways in which it's better is that it has multiple words for the word love. And the word that's chosen here by the writer of this passage, and remember, Jesus is the one speaking here, is the word agape. Now, the reason why the word there, agape, is so significant is because the word agape is totally different from the two-way conditional love that I said the world displays. Totally different. The the word agape there is not two-way conditional love. It's one-way unconditional love. So God loved the world not with worldly love, but with a brand-new, made-up, godly love that no one had ever seen before. It is a one-way unconditional love. Here's what it actually says in the definition. The definition of the word agape is this. It is love based on perceived value. Now, why is that important? Because the the best news you could ever hear is that the word agape means love based on perceived value. In other words, God loves you as much as he loves you because he perceives you as valuable. Praise be to God that God didn't love us based on earned value. Praise be to God that God didn't love us based on actual value. He loves us on perceived value. God loves you because he loves you. I tell my daughters that all the time. That's what agape love is. A lot of parents say, hey, hey, child, I love you because you're smart. I love you because you're brave. I love you because you're a good athlete. Listen, anytime you say that to your children, what you're telling them is that your love is conditional. As long as they perform, you're going to love them. God says, I love you because I love you. Unconditional love, perceived love. I love you based on perceived value, not actual. God forbid he did that because there'd be nothing to love. Not earned, perceived love. Then he not only shows it in the type of love, but he also shows it in the type of gift that he gives us. He says that he gives us the ultimate gift. Listen, one of the ways that you know the price of something, one of the ways that you can determine the value of something is by looking at the price that someone is willing to pay for it. Sometimes you look at something, you look at one of those antique shows and you're like, who would pay money for that? 
And all of a sudden the bidding happens and it's $3,000 by the time it's over. Right? The value of something is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. God loves us so much that he sent us his son. God sent us himself and said, I am going to die for you. I am going to rescue you. I am going to love you. I am going to pursue you. And so we see the demonstration of God's love because of the gift that he's willing to give. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, well, okay, so I get it. Jesus came to die for sinners, but you don't really know me. I'm not a bad person. Jesus came to die for the people in jail. He came to die for those really, really bad people. He, he, didn't, he didn't come to die for a good person like me. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I get it. He's offering salvation and, and hope, but I don't need it. I'm, I'm a decent person. Listen, listen, listen. According to Psalm 14, there is no such thing as a good person. It says no one is good, not even one. And the only reason why there's bad people who think they're good is because they're comparing themselves to worse people. Okay? But when you compare yourself to the perfection and the standard of God, all of a sudden, we are all bad people. Because in Romans, it says that we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall way short of the glory of God. So if the gospel is for bad people, that means the gospel is for you. And you know that's the case because if it was good people that were delivered in this passage, this passage is fascinating because in this passage, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious man who checked off all the boxes, who was super spiritual. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, I need help. I don't need salvation. I need help. I need to add you to my spiritual portfolio so that I can feel better about myself. Jesus says, no, no, no. Either you take all of me or you take none of me. Is a religious person, and Jesus says, you must be born again. You must believe in me. So what that means is that Jesus came to save not just the rebellious, but the religious. Not just the younger brother, but the older brother. Not just the licentious, but the legalistic. Not just those who know they're sick, but for those who think they're healthy. See, Christianity doesn't tell you, you might be thinking, okay, here it comes. This pastor's going to tell me that I got to stop drinking and I got to stop smoking and I got to stop clubbing and I got to stop this and I got to stop that. You don't got to stop anything. You know why? Here's why. Here's why. Because Christianity is not about do more, pray more, give more, attend more. The, the, the Christianity is about you don't do anything because Jesus already did everything. That's why the passage, listen, the passage here says, the passage doesn't say behave and you shall not perish. It says believe. He doesn't say to behave. He says to believe. We don't need behavior modification. We need a heart transformation. Don't behave. Believe. So you're like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard this before from a televangelist on the TV or my priest growing up. I get what you're saying. You're saying that God is the God of second chances. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying here. Listen, God is not the God of second chances. You know why? Because if God was only the God of second chances, I used up my second chance years ago. Okay? God's not the God of third or fourth or fifth or tenth or a hundred chances. God is not the God of second chances. God is the God of second birth. Can I get an amen? Don't go to God for a second chance because God's not in the business of redoing. He's in the business of redeeming. And if anyone else has told you otherwise, I apologize because that's not the gospel. See, the love of God, the love of God, here's what's beautiful. The love of God is for rich people and for poor people. 
The love of God is for brown people and for white people. The love of God is for pretty people and for ugly people. The love of God is for bad people and for good people. The love of God is for everyone. No one is too low and no one is too high. No one is too rich and no one's too poor. No one's too far and no one's too close. The love of God is for every person in this room. So can you know God personally? The answer is yes. God's love is for anyone and everyone. And if that's true, that means God's love is for you. Let's pray. Father, we we come before you this morning. And God, I want to pray for the people here. And they know who they are. For the whole time I've been speaking, you've been speaking to them. They, they, they have felt something in their heart. They have felt something in their soul. And they've been trying to fight it. They, they've been trying to ignore it. But I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they place their faith in you. That today would be the day that they stop relying on themselves and start relying on you. God, I am begging you in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit that whatever is keeping these people from saying, I want to follow you, I pray that you would remove those barriers right now. Get rid of them. Instead of asking why, I pray they would ask why not. And that this morning would be the morning that they stop living for themselves and start living for you. I pray that this morning would be the morning that they stop trying to climb up the ladder and instead go to the cross. Now, as everyone sits here, I want everyone to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're sitting here this morning and, and you feel like I've been talking to you since the beginning, like this whole sermon you feel like has been to you, like you're like, how does this guy know me and how does he know what I need to hear? Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I want a relationship with this Jesus, I want to have Jesus as the Lord of my life. I want to repent of my sin and I want to follow him with my entire life. If that's you this morning, then I have a prayer here on the screen behind me. The Bible says all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord. That's all we have to do and we shall be saved. So what I need you to do if you're here and you're saying, I want a relationship with this God, I'm tired of living for myself. Just quietly there in your seat. I just, I'm going to read this prayer, and you just, with, in, in your silence of your heart, read this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me and for sending your son to die for my sins. I want to turn away from my sinful life and receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And now, as your child, I turn my entire life over to you. Amen.